Yeah, sounds like a survival horror game in yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't trained the kid to game yet. That's the problem. <laughs> You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Welcome to For the Lore. This is a special edition, and we are very happy to have with us a special guest. We've got Greg Casavin from the uh, Supergiant Games, and he is a creative director. He worked on Bastion, which both Joe and Vince have played through and absolutely adored. There's going to be a full review of it in episode number 72 of the podcast. You're definitely going to want to check it out. So same as usual, of course, I've got Joe and Vince with me. And Greg, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Glad you could come out with us. Joe was the one actually that first found out about you guys and uh, he actually got to meet some of your your staff. I believe he actually got to meet you at E3 as well. It wasn't E3, it was uh PAX East. That's right. That's right. The the, uh, the crew from Bastion. You guys are a really awesome crew by the way. Oh, Very thanks. Nice. Yeah. That that was only part of our crew there at at PAX East as well. Actually, it's funny at E3 uh, was was the first time the entire team uh, was in the same physical place at the same time uh, on the project because a lot of us work, um, or some of us at least, uh, work remotely and stuff like that. Yeah, we're well, a team of, team of seven folks. Yeah, you guys have a small team, but you've done some really great things. But Thanks. speaking of getting onto the team, Greg, prior to working with Supergiant Games on the Bastion Project, uh, I understand you worked as an editor for GameSpot where, uh, yeah. with the New Type Gaming Magazine, and you formerly ran the website Arcadia Magazine. What prompted you to actually make games instead of you know just review them? Yeah, it's um, it's funny. So that uh, New Type in Arcadia that takes me way back because that was even before the the GameSpot days. Uh, GameSpot was kind of my first a legitimate job, um, out of, out of high school. Um, and yeah, so I started writing about games, um, yeah, just kind of fresh out of high school. And, and that eventually led to a GameSpot internship and I, and I worked there for, for more than 10 years. Um, uh, but it, you know, I, I always wanted to make games, um, since I was a little kid, really uh, about eight years old, uh, I've, I've been playing games for as long as I can remember and wanted to make them for most of that time as well. Uh, because I just like, obviously when I'm like eight years old and, you know, playing computer games or something like that, I have no idea what's involved in the making of games, but I, I was just filled with the sense that this is what I want to do. Um, but in, in high school, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, um, I, I, I tried, you know, computer programming and stuff like that, which is the obvious way in, um, to, to game development, at least at that time in, in the nineties, Um, and, but I didn't really take to it. It it was, I kind of, I I felt like I knew myself enough to know that this is not my thing. Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm going to be a great programmer. So how do I, what's another way? Um, uh, but you know, writing 
came more naturally to me and I really enjoyed it. So I started writing about games It let me justify all the games I was playing a little bit better to myself because <laughs> I felt <laughs> I like I could stand that one yeah, be doing something <laughs> productive on the side. And um, but I really fell in love with that uh, side of things. I wouldn't have done it for 12 years uh, or so otherwise. But, yeah, I just kind of woke up one day eventually and I'm like, oh, man, if I don't get into game development soon, I may just miss uh, the boat altogether on it. That's how I felt. So I, I found uh, an opportunity to go work at EA on the Command and Conquer series, um, and and I took the plunge from there. That was uh, almost five years ago. And what what was your inspiration moving from the times of EA to going into now with the Bastion Project to make an action RPG title like Bastion? Yeah, so um, we wanted to, like, first of all, there was a lot of appeal for for us just to do just to work as a smaller team um having worked on really big teams there there's certainly a lot of advantages to working at a kind of a big well-funded company like EA um but but you could uh, ironically you could move a lot faster if if you work with fewer people it, it kind of makes sense once you think about it some more but uh, in, intuitively you'd think the more people you have you know the more you can accomplish but it, it doesn't always work out that way because uh, you get more and more people who have a stake in everything and it, it just can take a really long time to make a decision um, whereas uh, w being small like us we can just iterate very rapidly and keep only the stuff that works um, and and the more you can iterate uh, the more uh, you, you know, I think the better your chances are of getting to something that's high quality. Um, as far as why we wanted to make an action RPG, uh, there isn't a super uh, sophisticated answer to that. It's it's really just a genre that we really loved um, and that, that we still love, uh, obviously. Um, we had been working on real-time strategy games for a while, and we were all ready to kind of give that a rest as much as we love that genre. It's just like to kind of uh, branch out and we weren't even really coming at it necessarily from a genre perspective at all um we were just more interested in like a a much more active type of experience where you could control a character directly you know from having worked on games where you're playing as a mouse cursor essentially and like selecting a bunch of little guys on the screen uh we wanted to do something where you could be a character and and you know uh, explore a world and and things of that nature well, you've created a rather wonderful world there. What was the inspiration for the uh, the story behind it? Oh man, um, so that's that's honest. So I'm I'm the writer on the project. Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to narrow down exactly what the inspiration is. I'm sure there are like a lot of weird subconscious uh, inspirations based on stuff um, I experienced growing up. Um, like some people have have identified. Some people have noted that. Um, there, there's some similarities with uh, with like the never-ending story. Like in our game, we have something called the calamity, and in the never-ending story, there's something called the nothing. Um, and and when I first heard that, I'm like, oh yeah, that like that's interesting. <laughs> but it never, never like really occurred to me. Um, in, in and and even you know the main uh, the main character's name in uh, never-ending story is Bastion with an A, um, and we're Bastion with an O. Uh, at the end, so, well, but, I, never, but, I never made that correlation. Yeah, wow. those kind of, like I, I certainly didn't either, uh, to, to be quite honest. Uh, but who knows uh, how some of that stuff happens uh, subconsciously. I certainly like uh, watched the movie uh, growing up and um, saw saw a lot of kind of 80s movies and was interested in in this kind of um, almost like a modern fairy tale type of thing, uh, you know, back before, uh, you know, Dis Disney kind of spun fairy tales a certain way and made them super, super kind of kid friendly, but they used to be these kind of grittier stories. 
Um, and, and I like, I like that kind of, um, I, I wanted to have that, that, a combination of like a serious edge and something that was suitable for, for uh, uh, different age groups. Um, and then uh, tonally, there is a specific influence, um, which is that when, when we were, you know, early on, we were talking about the kind of tone we wanted to strike with the game. And, um, and um, I, both, uh, both myself and, and Amir, our, our co-founder, we both uh, like the American author Cormac McCarthy quite a bit. Um, and he, he had, he's written, you know, no country for old men and, um, and the road and all the pretty horses. And he has, his stories all have this kind of gritty Western feel, even if they're not set in the West. Um, and he, uh, has this really kind of lyrical style. Um, he paints these really beautiful landscapes and stuff like that. Um, so, so the, the half joke was like, what if Cormac McCarthy wrote games, uh, you know, wrote little video games instead of, um, writing great American novels, what would they sound like? Um, so that was a, an early idea. Uh, of course, his stuff uh, tends to be much more sinister and dealing with like the evils of mankind and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, there are enough games that deal with uh, terrible evils to where we didn't really want to go that route. Now, you, you were saying that you did you were the primary writer. Were you the only writer or did you have other people working with you on it? I, I am I am the only writer. Um, all of the all of the narration and text in the game I wrote. Um, the the writing process was basically uh, me doing the writing and Amir uh, doing the editing. Um, uh, so we it was a very sort of tight feedback loop there. Uh, lots of bouncing back and forth between us. So I wasn't working in a vacuum. That's a very important distinction that I would make because like I uh, I think behind any decent writer, uh, is, is a good editor. Um, because you, you need that sounding board, uh, from someone else and to make sure that your, your ideas are coming across the way that you intend. Um, so a lot of iteration between us, but it wasn't like a big, you know, we, we made sure that it wasn't like too many cooks in the kitchen there so that the output of, of the work can be pretty pure. Well, obviously, well, like we've seen that you've got the experience in terms of, of nonfiction writing and whatnot, but how much fiction writing had you done prior to this? I, you know, I had, I obviously dabbled in it. I'm not like a published uh, fiction writer um, or, or anything like that. Um, but this is something, like I said, that I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. Uh, and I've long believed that um, writing for games is, is its own art um, that, that, just because you know sometimes you get these games where they've like commissioned some some known science fiction author or something like that to do their story it's like just because that guy's written a great novel it doesn't make him suitable for writing for a game necessarily because um the the interaction between the player and the game is so important um oh, so definitely. i uh so so i felt that um yeah so at any at any rate i uh that that was kind of the direction i i came at it from um, and this is this is the first game I've been able to work on in in this in this capacity. Um, I did writing on on uh, Red Alert three. I did like I wrote like unit responses and the in game text, but uh, that was nothing compared to uh, this type of project where I you know I came up with all the fiction and and, and that sort of thing. Well, it allows you to actually have, uh, especially if you are again a smaller group like you were saying, and you have complete control over. I mean, within reason, of course, but you've got complete control over where the story is going, that you can mold it how you want. I'm wondering if this is something that you feel then 
basically scratches that itch if you did have that fiction writing itch before wherein it's you're able to tell a story it doesn't matter that it's on a screen or in a book you, you got the story out of you uh, there, so there is definitely a component of that, but but for me, it, it's particularly important that this was expressed um, in through the medium of games. Um, like the the, you know, the side note is uh, my my parents used to tell me all the time. I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I'm an, I'm an, Im, I'm an immigrant. I come from Moscow. So my parents, you know, want me to accomplish something and all that. So they're always, you, you know, they want me to do better and all this stuff. They're always telling me to write a book. And I would always tell them I, I want to write a game. Like I, I could, the time I could take into, into writing a book, I could just as soon put into a game. And that's a medium that is more uh, compelling to me because of the kind of experience that that can create. Um, but yeah, I mean, Working on the story in Bastion absolutely scratched that itch for me. It was like I, I hope that for the first time in my life, and I'm I'm about to turn 34. Like I I feel like this is the thing that I just want to keep doing forever. Well, it's I, I've I've written in different mediums as well, and I can appreciate what you're saying. And and it is again, you've got the story out. It doesn't matter if it's a you know you've got paper novel that you can show people. Here you've got something else that you can show. It's just about I getting do. that story out. And in in this case here, it fits best, obviously, in a game format. Right, and 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 to a large extent, it's like it's designed with that format in mind. Like like it what it was it was conceived, you know, around, around this type of experience as opposed to like, uh, because, because not all stories lend themselves to games, right? Mm -hmm. Um, there, there are certain stories that are better suited, uh, for, for novels or, or for television and, and what have you. Um, so I, I, I do, uh, you know, there are always a lot of weird ideas swirling around in my head, but I, I try not to get too attached to any of them, you know, before I can, before I know how I can execute on that idea, because I do, t you know, once I do get going, I do get really attached uh, to my ideas. I think anyone in that kind of position tends to do that. And, and that could uh, um, I think it's uh, it's important to to be uh, practical about it as well, however possible. But, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's like I there were a lot there was a lot of stuff about this game, about the story that I just wanted to get out there for sure. Now, the story of the game has a very interesting delivery system. Traditionally in RPGs, you get like the wall of text or the quest yeah. givers or things like that, whereas you have chosen to give it through narration and reactive narration at that. Um, how was that decision reached? Yeah, so that um, th that decision uh, happened in, in sort of a – it happened in a roundabout way because at the, at the very outset um, when we were just thinking about like what – what sort of game experience do we want to create? Um, we knew that we wanted it to have some sort of narrative or emotional depth. Uh, I think that's like what a story can provide for a game when when done when done well. Um, suddenly, you know, it fills it helps to fill the game experience with some kind of greater meaning than you get just from the moment to moment uh, play experience. At least that's the idea. On the other hand, we. We were very averse to the type of experience you mentioned of like, we, we didn't want to interrupt the player um, for the sake of some story, right? We didn't want to stop him with walls of text or uh, or cutscenes or any of that kind of stuff. We just wanted him to be able to pick up and start playing like like you could do with, with classic games. Um, and at the beginning, it was th those two goals 
seemed very much at odds. Like it, it, it didn't seem reconcilable. But then during uh, during the relatively long course of prototyping the game, um, Amir basically tried the narration at a certain point. Um, um, among you know dozens of other ideas that that were tried for the game, and um, it was made possible because. Uh, Darren, uh, our audio director, who Amira was already working with, was roommates with Logan, who's who's the voice of our yeah, narrator. I've, I've and never met Logan. He's awesome. Okay, yeah. Th- so the, these guys are mutual friends from back in like middle school or something. Um, if we didn't have access to an actor as as good as Logan, um, I don't think we would have pursued this type of technique at all. Uh, but since we did know someone who could who could sort of deliver a high quality performance, uh, it was something we tried. And and when when it went into the game, the effect was pretty dramatic straight away. And then from there, you know, um, it wasn't long before, uh, we realized it was, it was the essentially a great way to deliver this kind of story that we wanted to tell. Well, the thing too, is that in most writing, the same rule applies where it's show don't tell. Whereas with you guys, you found a way around that (laughs) you are telling versus showing, and it's allowing you a lot of freedom in telling your story versus having to, like you said, go through a whole bunch of, of, of narration, not narration, but different story elements that otherwise you'd have to have in there. Like, did you find that it just basically gave you a lot more freedom in getting the story told? Yeah, well, there there's freedom in some respects, but there were some really, really important constraints that, that we had to establish in order to make it work. Uh, because, um, as, as you said, like it, it does, it does allow. So, so what it gives us is, is the ability to like deepen um, moments of the game, um, and and we realized we had to use it that way, so that the narr- the narrator had to by and large be giving the player information that he could not have discerned on his own. Like he can't just be a play by play commentator uh, because that may be novel for a few minutes, but it would get old fast. And we intended to like uh, for the story to actually go somewhere. Um, so he's delivering kind of the subtext of the player's actions and and surprising you that way. Uh, hopefully, um, that that was part of the idea. You know, the other the other part of it is we do have to even though there in spite of how much narration there is in the game, he needs to um, get individual ideas out pretty quickly because you could play through this game really, really fast. Um, And we liked the idea of the story uh, unraveling at the player's own pace. Um, But probably the best thing that it provides is that we get to like give you information about the thing that like immediately matters to you. Um, So really. Uh, it's a form of uh, giving exposition effectively, I think. Um, so in a lot of RPGs, you know, you want to start playing, but you're seeing that wall of text and it's telling you about stuff that you don't care about because you haven't played the game yet. You like, you don't care about the war that happened 5,000 years ago or something like that. Right. Um, whereas with us, he's telling you about the stuff that's like immediately a threat to you. Uh, he's telling you about the strange environment you've just set foot in and, and sort of drip feeding you this information at, at the rate that hopefully uh, is like inherently interesting to the player. Um, so that I, I think uh, overall worked out really well for us. So approximately how much dialogue was recorded for the game? Oh man, it's like hours of stuff and it, it came out to close to th- 3000 lines or so. Um, and and part of it again is like only made possible because of the access we had to Logan, because um, uh, with most games you'll have maybe three recording sessions uh, the whole time, um, uh, but with us it was probably like more than sixty or something. These guys literally recording multiple times a week, uh, redoing stuff all the time. 
uh, to make sure that the performance is smooth and consistent and that it feels just right for the gameplay and stuff like that. So it was a unique advantage that we had and we tried to play it up as, as much as possible to get that really strong performance there. Um, since it had so much of an effect on the atmosphere of the game, um, it could be a double-edged sword in that respect because whenever the timing was slightly off or whenever the performance was slightly off, uh, your immersion in the game world would, would be broken in that moment. So we, we put a lot of, we sort of invested a lot into making sure that felt really good uh, all the way through. Overall, how close is the finished product to your initial vision and how much just sort of evolved during the design process? Yeah, it's funny. It's it, it's hard to like, it, it, it's not a game that started with like a big, with like a grand design document or anything like that. We didn't see the whole thing in our heads. Um, we, we don't, we don't really operate that way. Um, but on the other hand, like the idea of, you know, a, a tight responsive action RPG where you build a world around you that has, that has like a, a meaningful narrative impact in addition to being pick up and play, you know, fun from moment to moment. I do think we delivered on, on that. And those were some of the early ideas. Um, but, but the specifics of the game, um, they weren't all there from the start. Um, it spent like nine months in prototyping where a lot of ideas uh, came and went. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we selected the best of them because uh, we were very interested in, in making, you know, a game, that, a game that just felt complete, that, that felt like very much internally consistent, um, that didn't overstay its welcome, but that still felt like a grand adventure and stuff like that. Um, and we had to do that pretty iteratively, kind of one feature at a, at a time, always looking at like, okay, what is the game missing now? What do we need to add to it or what do we need to subtract from it? Um, so that was a very gradual process, but I think it did lead to the type of experience that, you know, looking back, I think is, is the kind of game that we wanted to make very much so. Now, one of the things I really enjoy about the game is the art style. Um, it is very fantastic, especially with the whole world falling apart and bringing itself back together around you, the character. Um, how was it decided that you wouldn't use a traditional tile set for the overworld? So really, first of all, like the art style, you know, the the, the credit really goes to Gen Z, uh, who, who's our artist and, and art director, because uh, she joined the project when we we had a sense of the, the tone and the fiction um, you know, we had, we knew we were making like a 2D isometric game, uh, but apart from that kind of skeletal framework, there wasn't a whole lot there. Uh, and she was able to uh, like quickly uh, come up with this art style that that we we thought was was just a really great fit and and captured um, the the kind of uh, contrast that that we wanted the world to have. Um, I think we we always were interested in the game having some sort of like a like almost like a surreal quality uh, to some extent as uh, as expressed through the world design of the world forming up around you um that was a pretty early design uh, choice that was made um on on the game and and so i think from there it was a pretty natural evolution for jen to like uh, create uh, so like a lot of asymmetrical kind of uh, playing fields for the game so that it didn't look uh, static and didn't look like it was just um, totally tile-based. Uh, all those environments are, you know, even though it looks like it kind of procedurally forms up around the player, we, we build all the levels uh, ourselves, you know, by hand using the assets that, that Jen creates. Um, so, yeah, that, that it just made the most sense for the kind of uh, game world that we wanted uh, the, since the the nature of the world is that it's all like shattered apart, um, 
you wouldn't expect clean uh, breaks in in that sort of circumstance and and like tile a tile based environment would probably look a little too uh, formulaic for for what we were trying to do the music in bastion is fantastic i'd say even exceeding the quality of many full retail releases uh, as one of our audience members hoogs points out uh, zia's song was definitely a highlight of the game how much of a priority was the music during development yeah so it was uh, so thank you for that the the response like it, it's funny we we were cautiously optimistic about the response to the music like we all really liked it but i i do have to say that of of all the stuff you know that it seems like the the thing that everybody can agree on is is that the music in the game is really cool. So we're we're really happy about that, and and it was a big priority for us, um, uh, and it was made possible because um, Darren, uh, our audio director and composer, was working on the project um, from very early on, and in a lot of games. You know, the music comes in late. It's like the whole game is built and they hire their composer and, you know, quick whip up some ah, I'm, I'm, I'm selling it short, obviously. But music often comes in late uh, during development, whereas with us, uh, the music happened uh, very uh, it started happening very early, uh, right around the time when we had uh, some of those tonal ideas I, I referred to um, previously. So Darren was was the first to. You know, once we were talking about this like fantasy Cormac McCarthy type of world, Darren was the first to start executing on that and like creating real content around it through his music. Um, and some of that music, uh, uh, pretty much all of that music actually is in the game because um, it, it helped us really visualize uh, the tone. Um, and, and we knew that we wanted to make an atmospheric game and, and audio is really important uh, to establishing atmosphere. Uh, so I think, you know, not only was the music a priority for us, the audio in general, uh, but it was um, uh, like our our close collaboration with Darren allowed us to do stuff like like the um, like the Prosper Bluff uh, sequence uh, where you where you hear uh, Zia's song. Um, you know, I, I don't think we could have done that any other way unless we were working that closely together with with someone who who has a talent for this stuff. And as for the question, everybody wants to know: Are there any plans to release the soundtrack? Ha, uh, so we're actively uh, we're actively looking into it, um, and and uh, the for what it's worth, uh, we're not. Uh, it's not even a, a purely reactionary thing either. It's been something we were interested in doing uh, all along. We just uh, want to make sure we we do it the right way, uh, and hopefully we'll do it in such a way that um, that is worth people's while. Uh, but uh, we. Yeah, we don't have anything, you know, don't hold me to that just yet. But with any luck, we'll be able to announce something relatively soon. Hey, so you got several people right here that are definitely willing to uh, buy cool. one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you guys. Now, there are many options in the combat with the multitude of weapons, the various upgrades, the hidden techniques. Uh, any special combinations you particularly like? Oh, man, that's that's fun. That's the first time someone has asked me how 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 I like to play the game. So thank you. Um, the. Uh, it's, it's funny, like we, so it was really important to us to, uh, to present a lot of really cool options through the game. Like the whole design around the combat was we wanted people to like find, gain access to more and more cool options until they could find a play style that felt really, really good to them personally. Um, and, and we wanted them to like not get caught up on like the, the, any like complication that you often have in RPGs of like trying to understand what different stats mean, but instead like agonize over the cool choices at stake of like, man, I really like all this stuff and I don't know what to pick. Um, 
and for, and we knew it was in a pretty good place at the end when like none of us could agree on what uh, our favorite uh, weapons like everyone had different opinions on the team of like what were the best weapons uh for me let's see i'm i'm pretty partial so i love the hammer that you start yes. with uh and the way it upgrades um i i like it partially through through the fiction around it and also the feel of it and and i really like the uh the army carbine the rifle uh it's just a good i love like good meaty like single shot uh, powerful uh, type uh, firearms and games and and that's our uh, equivalent in bastion uh, so yeah i i i like those too <laughs> it's great that the weapons that you earn earlier are just as effective as the ones later on, uh, just in their own different ways. How hard was it to achieve that balance? Yeah, so that was um, that was definitely a, a design goal as well. And I think like part of that may be um, influenced by our real time strategy roots of like we we like that that sense of like you're, you're not just constantly discarding stuff in favor of better stuff but instead you're growing your list of choices and uh you're able to take stuff that was weak earlier and make it really viable late in the late game um it took a lot of tuning uh, amir did did pretty much all the tuning himself and uh it, it was being tuned down to the down to the very end you know putting the finishing touches on stuff uh, but like i said i mean we got it to a place where we were pretty happy with it and we're, we're happy to see the the result. So um, I definitely, you know, think it only worked out this way because we made it a priority and, and we put, we put the time into it. Um, you know, we liked, we, we liked some of the other stuff where the, the narrator can like, he talks about the different uh, combinations of weapons that you use and, and stuff like that. Um, we wanted to do that kind of stuff to, to encourage the kind of play style that we wanted where players felt comfortable experimenting they or they were excited to experiment whereas in so many games you know you you find the first set of weapons that work for you you know and you stick to those forever you don't want to try stuff because the game will sooner kind of punish you um or, or something like that we didn't want we didn't want people to have that kind of experience and yet people are getting very particular about their particular combination of what we, they <laughs> yeah. are using it's like who's saying in the audience shotgun and war machete and then vince has got his opinions everybody's got their favorites of what they used yeah which is perfect i mean that that's like that was our old joke in you know back when we were working on real-time strategy games is like you know a real-time strategy game is balanced when, like, there are these vicious debates about how <laughs> overpowered every single faction is. As long as people can, like, make the argument that this is the best weapon, then then it's in a pretty good space. Um, and, and since... Uh, and since it is, you know, it's a single-player game, we, we have to have... Uh, internally consistent balance but you know we could tune everything to feel very powerful because you don't have to worry about you know a player on the receiving end like having a terrible time because you know the rb carbine is so damn strong or something like that now that bastion has been released and you guys have been you know working on the post release sort of stuff what are your plans for the future like what are you uh, looking forward to doing now yeah, so our in in the in the short run, um, we are working on uh, the PC version of the game in addition to supporting the 360 version and making sure that's all going over well. Um, so the PC version is is sort of our next big thing, um, and we've been we've been saying it's gonna we we have no a specific date for it that we've announced yet, uh, though with any luck we'll have uh, more information on that pretty soon. Uh, that that version 
um, even though the the essential content of the game is is the same, um, we're we're definitely putting the time into making sure it feels like a homegrown PC game with a proper you know mouse and keyboard control scheme, uh, in addition to gamepad support and stuff like that. Um, so that's uh, you know between that and and upcoming events like uh, uh, you know it's PAX time again uh, coming up later this month. Um, we're we're kind of all still very much bastion uh, on our minds um and uh, you know so too early to say uh, what the distant future looks like for us because uh, we're we're still very uh, invested in making sure this this game uh, goes over well uh, but i think you know the the response to the game has been really really terrific and the the game itself is an expression of the kind of experiences we want to make of like games games that have uh, can can surprise people and can have like a trans uh, transportive quality make you feel like you're in a different place and have like a you know both um both rich narrative experiences but also uh like a tight responsive gameplay and stuff like that Th- those are our values as as game players so i would hope that anything we work on uh, in the future that isn't bastion is gonna uh, have some of those same characteristics Okay, well, we're going to wrap it up at that, Greg. We are looking forward to seeing what more you guys are going to be doing, uh, especially if you decide to go into any of the handheld markets or if you this on the iPad, dude. Oh, oh, that would be <laughs> awesome. Or on the 3DS. I'm not a big Absolutely. proponent of the 3DS all the time, but something like this would rock on a 3DS. Yeah. Okay, so once again, take- I, hear, I hear you. I play a lot of portable games myself. But oh, don't, yeah. certainly don't take that as a yeah. I mean, I love uh, portable systems like the PSP and the DS are home to so many great RPGs and stuff. So that I've been playing that stuff uh, almost more than uh, stuff on console and PC these days uh, personally. So I, I hear you. It's just that some games lend themselves so well to it, and Bastion certainly would. Anyways, we love the game. Very much looking forward to seeing what else you guys can crop out of that small company. Thank you very much for taking the time and and uh, and chit-chatting with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. All Thank right. you. not like pomegranates food of the gods takes too long to eat like all the that's, little freaking that's why it's stuff. in popsicle form Vince how do I have you here why do you suck so much Vince answer me that <laughs> we should record this week's <laughs> comic book informer <laughs> <laughs> we almost have time <laughs> or is he still getting a popsicle? He's still getting a popsicle. He's getting a popsicle. He's a precious little boy. He's got little shorts on, little tanked up. He's all tanned. Eating popsicle and sitting out in the sun. <laughs> the big kids won't let him play on the swings. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I call dibs on Wolverine. <laughs> you can be Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't want to be Canadian. Yeah, and there's some bulge action down there going on too. Hmm. That ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> the hell's that all about? <laughs> wow. <laughs> what the hell's that noise? Is somebody vacuuming? It's the fan. Jesus, dude. <laughs> You have any idea how fucking hot it gets down here? Oh, you poor baby. Okay. 
you finished. Oh, what a surprise. You finished an Xbox game. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's not surprising. That's not even news. Okay, conversations deteriorating fast, R Greg. <laughs> Help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're the only one. A friend of mine came up to me today and had said, hey, what's up with the fat Batman? And I just kind of <laughs> stare at him. It's like... You've never read that comic? Wow. Too many donuts for da Batman. <laughs> hey, guys. I'm, hey. I'm really sorry. Uh, to keep you waiting. That's all right, don't worry about it. Meeting ran, meeting ran long. Yeah, riveting right. conversation while we were waiting. Yes. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Okay, tone down the sarcasm there, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> I was the one doing most of the talking, yeah. so. <laughs> Between the stupid cats and Batman pictures? Hmm, I don't know about riveting. Sorry, I missed out. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be in the outtakes. <laughs> So don't you mess around with me. I never look for trouble.